Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Judges 6 through 8. The story of Gideon contains a wealth of applicable truths for us today. This sermon reveals two more impactful realities. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, we're still in Judges chapter 6, is, uh, 6 through 8. We're in this, I was calling it a mini-series, but it's kind of turned into a series uh, of God and Gideon, where we've been looking at Gideon, uh, getting some insight from him, but also we're taking a look at God and we're finding some really interesting characteristics about God and the relationship between God and Gideon. We're just walking through the story, trying to draw some truths that we can apply to our life. So far, we've uncovered five truths. The first truth is that God is the God of grace and salvation. When we come to him with sincere heart, he always responds to us with grace. Truth two, God encounters are essential, and those God encounters lead to worship and peace and obedience and courage. Truth three is that God understands our humanity, so he's able to work in us and through us and for us and with us even in the midst of some of that humanness of pain and fear and doubt and questions. So we're to let those things draw us closer to him, not push us away from him. Truth number four, or, yes, truth number four is that God sees us differently than we see ourselves. So the key for us is to see ourselves through the same lens that God sees us. And as we believe who he has called us to be and do, then we're able to actually be conformed into that and become what God's called us to be and to do. Truth number five is that God is a majority, all by himself. So we don't have to fear. We're never alone when we're facing those struggles and battles. God is with us, and he is the majority. So this morning, I want to look at two new truths. But before we get into the truths, let me introduce you to the chess table here. How many of you play chess? Okay, good number. How many of you are really good at chess? Nobody will own up, huh? In chess, there are those certain individuals that are called grandmasters. In fact, there are even some that are called super grandmasters. And these grandmasters in chess, some of them proclaim and have tried to prove that they can plan ahead 10, 15, even 20 moves ahead. So if you're playing them, they're thinking 10 or 15 moves ahead. Some even say that they can plan an entire game before the game even starts. They know exactly every move they're going to make. Those moves won't change regardless of what the opponent does, and they can plan out an entire game. Some of these grandmasters have memorized 20,000 chess games. That's unbelievable to me. One chess master, uh, grandmaster, tried to prove this point, and did prove this point, I guess, and that he blindfolded himself, and blindfolded, he played against 11 opponents simultaneously, not even knowing really what they're moving. He had his game plan out, and he won every game by his moves. So they know 15, maybe 20 moves ahead. Now, I play chess, okay? But when I'm playing chess, I'm, I'm maybe one move ahead. Most of the time, I'm just trying to think about the next move, in fact, most of the time when I'm playing, I'm playing reactionary chess 
In other words, I think I know what I'm doing, but then the opponent will make a move and I'll go, uh, uh-oh, now I've got to change everything. So I end up playing defensive chess. That's kind of the way I play. But this helps introduce this, this next truth, this number six truth, and that is that God is always way ahead. God's always just way ahead. Look in chapter seven, verse nine. Revisit this story. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, to attack go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. What we see here is that God was way ahead. God had prepared the way for Gideon. God had, was multiple steps ahead of Gideon. God knew that Gideon was going to need some confidence that he was gonna need some reassurance, that he was gonna need some evidence that, that he was gonna be victorious in this battle. So God had prepared way in advance some issues and some events and some circumstances that Gideon could see to know and to gain the confidence that he was going to know. And the truth is that God is always way ahead. God's preparing the way for you and he's working in advance to meet your need. This truth was made more clear in this whole dynamic of River Fellowship and, and, and starting this church. As most of you know, uh, April 8th was the launch date for River Fellowship, so we're about 10 months old. Well, two or three months prior to that, uh, there was a group praying about starting the church, and once that decision was made, you know, kind of doing the prep work and getting ready for the launch. Well, what some of you don't know is a year before that, a year before any idea of River Fellowship that we talked with anybody, God was actually speaking to my heart about being involved in the church plant. In fact, Denise and I had been praying about that and talking about that off and on for years. Well, during that time, about a year before anything is happening, as God was just kind of speaking into my spirit, I just began to look at some properties and some facilities and locations. And if God really were to do this, you know, where could we go and what could we do and what would be cool? Well, during all that process, God led me to a piece of property that as I looked at it, it was like, man, this would be a really cool spot for a, for a church. I shared that with just a couple of people. And the consensus was, yeah, that would be a, a really cool place. Well, fast forward a year and now River Fellowship has launched. Fast forward a few more months, now four or five months ago, uh, as, the, as the elder body, the elders began to, early on in the process of River Fellowship, began to look at other at property, because we all knew that at Ascension was just a temporary location for us. So, so the elders have been looking for property, almost conception point. And we looked at every gamut. We looked at buying property, 
that we could one day build a building on, and maybe we'll still do that at some point. Uh, we looked at buying a building somewhere. Then we began to look at rental space all over town. We even looked at cohabitating with another church where there'd be two churches in the same facility. We looked at every gamut, but in all this, God kind of fine-tuned and directed us and moved us to the property that we're about to be in that we call Avondale Center. Now, what you may already be thinking is the very property a year earlier, two years before now, that God led me to was the very same property, Avondale Center. So a year before anything ever began to develop with River Fellowship, God was already working. God was already providing the space for River Fellowship. God's always working way in advance. The exciting part for me is that right now, God's already working for what's next. Three years from now, five years from now, longer than that, God's already in the, in the process of preparing that. So for us, we don't have to struggle with what we're going to do. We don't have to come up with stuff that we're going to do. We don't have to try to make all these great plans. What we need to do is seek the Lord, follow the Lord, and see the open doors that God provides because he's leading the way. He's preparing the way. All we have to do is stay in tune with him and follow his path and follow his direction. And the truth is the same for you personally. Your need, your circumstance, your situation, your problem, your struggle has not taken God by surprise. He knows what's going on. In this chess, I told you the way I play chess, I'm always playing catch up. I'm always reacting. I'm always saying, oops, I didn't know he was gonna move that way, so now I'm trying to figure out, okay, now what? Trying to play catch up. That's not God. That's not the way God operates. Your situation, your struggle has not taken God by surprise. He's not reacting and trying to figure out what he's going to do. He's already way ahead of the game. You don't have to worry about your future. You don't have to worry about, is God going to deal with this situation, this circumstance, this problem, the issue, because he is, because he's already prepared and paved the way, way in advance. What we see here in the story with Gideon is that he'd done all the prep work in advance for Gideon. God had already cleared the path. God had already ensured the victory before the battle ever began. Now, Gideon still had to fight the battle. <laughs> he still had to go through the battle. But he's battling in the face of victory. He's going through the battle knowing and having the confidence the battle's already been won. What a difference that makes in our situation, our problem, our struggle, our issue, our conflict when we realize we may be going through the battle right now, but we're going through the battle in the face of victory. God's already given us the victory and it changes our whole dynamic and perspective of how we face this situation that we're in right now because I know God's already prepared the way for me. There's two great promises from this story of Gideon. One of the promises is that God is with us. But the other great promise is that God goes before us. So not only is God going with us through the midst of what we will go through, but he's also way ahead of us preparing the way. He's that fullback making the hole. He's clearing the path 
for you so that you can make the journey. We see that all through scripture, really, if you go through. Some notables would be Abraham and Isaac. Remember when, when Abraham's taking Isaac up to the mountain, gonna sacrifice him on the altar for God, lays him on the altar, he raises the knife, and God says, hey, stop, I've prepared a ram over here in the thicket. You think that ram was up there on the mountain by accident? You think that ram just so happened to be caught in the thicket so it couldn't run away? <laughs> no, God knew what was going on, and he had prepared way in advance for that situation. We see the same with Joseph. Joseph was gonna use, I mean, God was gonna use Joseph to save his family and to save the lineage through the famine. So he had to get him in Egypt where he could be second in command and could, could do that. So God had preparing, preparing the way. So Joseph went through a series of events, a series of battles, a series of struggles, but all along, God was gonna put him and placed him in that position. Now, Joseph may, have, may not have liked every battle that he went through. He may not have understood everything that he was going through. But God was using every one of those events to get him to the place where God was calling him to be. Maybe that's the way we are sometimes. We may not really like what we're having to go through. We may not like the battle we're in, but the battle doesn't mean that God's not preparing the way for us. We see it even in, in small things in scripture. If you remember when Jesus, he's gonna get ready for the Passover, which is actually gonna become the last supper before he's crucified. He goes to Peter and John and says, hey, go into town and find a place that we can have, have the um, Lord's Supper, the Passover. And so they ask, well, where do we go? What do we do? And Jesus said, well, you're gonna see a man carrying a jar, and when you see him, just say, hey, where's the guest room? So that's what they do, and find the man, and he takes them to the guest room. Jesus had already prepared all of that for them in advance. Probably the greatest picture that we see of God working way in advance is the picture of salvation. When you look at the picture of salvation, God prepared and provided for salvation even before any of us sinned, before any of us were created, even before the beginning of time. 1 Peter 1.20 says that Christ was chosen before the creation of the world. 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us and called us to a holy life because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Titus 1-2, God promised the hope of eternal life before the beginning of time. God knew before the beginning of time that we were going to need to be redeemed and cleansed and forgiven and reconciled unto himself. God knew before the beginning of time the whole deal of sin and original sin and what that was gonna do, so he had prepared the way in advance. Okay, sometimes we have the, the tendency to think God's playing this chess game like the way I play chess game, that, okay, I've got a plan, and I've got a strategy, and it looks good, but uh-oh, the opponent did something that I, I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for. I didn't see, and so that changes my whole game plan. That move messed up my entire game plan, so now I've got to think of another, another move. Sometimes we can think that maybe God had this plan, but then all of a sudden, man sins, and now we're in sin, and now we're separated from him, so God has to come up with a, a, a plan B to say, what do I do now to save these people and bring them back? Oh, I know, I'll, I'll send my son. That's not the way it was. From the very beginning of time, before time as we know it, God already was so far ahead that he knew we would sin. We knew, he knew we'd need to be reconciled. And so he, in advance, prepared his son for our salvation. 
What that means for us today is he loves us so much that he had planned in advance a certain way to spend eternity with him. And if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never made that decision to say, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and I wanna give my life to him. If you've never made that decision, you just need to know this morning that God loves you so much that before creation began, he had already made a way for you to enter into relationship with him and spend eternity with him. God is so far ahead of us. God's preparing us and he is preparing a way for us. And sometimes those two things work together. While God is preparing the way, he's preparing us so that we're ready when we get there. We see that story with Abraham. Remember Abraham, God had to do certain things in Abraham's life before he's ready to fulfill the promise. There had to be certain things happen in Joseph's life before he would be ready to be second in command. So God's preparing him even while he's preparing the way. And he does the same thing for us too. So we can hold on to the promise that whatever God calls us to do, we're not gonna fall, we're not gonna fail because he's prepared us and he's preparing the way for us. Let's make it practical. Let's say God is calling you to share Christ with somebody this week. And you know, it's to work associate, the neighbor, whoever, but you know God's been laying on your heart. I need to talk to this person about Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear that. You don't have to worry about that because he's prepared you to do that and he's prepared the way in advance for that person to be ready to listen to you. Let's say you have a big issue, a, 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 a conflict, a, a conversation that you're gonna have to really deal with, some, some deal that you just know you've gotta deal with, you've gotta handle, that you've gotta meet face on, some struggle, some burden, whatever. You don't have to fear that because God's prepared you for it and he's prepared the way for you. If God's calling you into some type of leadership position, maybe it's to lead a life group, maybe it's to work with youth, there's some other type of leadership where you're saying, I don't know if I can really do that. You can do that because if God's calling you to do that, he's prepared you to do that and he's prepared the way for you to do that. So I don't know how this principle applies to you this morning, but however it applies, just know that God is way ahead of you. You're not going to surprise him. But there's a problem with this sometimes. Some conflict can, can develop inside of us. There are some things that we need to guard against, even though we might know this. We might know intellectually that God is way ahead of us. But we're, when we're in the midst of something, it gives us a different perspective to remember that God's way ahead of us and he's gonna make it work. So we've gotta guard against a few things. The first thing we've gotta guard against is becoming impatient. We may know God's working ahead of us, but we may not think he's working fast enough ahead of us. God may be preparing the way, but he may not be telling us about it. He may not be letting us in on, so we're a little confused and we become impatient and we want to force that way. So we may decide, well, God may be opening doors, but I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to kind of create my own doors and knock my own doors down. We've got to be weary or leery of becoming impatient. We also have to guard against becoming insubordinate. That simply means, okay, God's preparing a way for me, but I don't want to go that way. <laughs> I'd rather go a different way. And there's plenty of Examples in scripture of people that tried to do that. 
We also have to be leery of becoming indifferent. When I look at Gideon's life, Gideon very easily could have said, hey, I don't want to go to war. It doesn't really matter to me that all of Israel is, is in turmoil because I'm down here in the wine press. I'm threshing wheat. I've got food, so I can take care of myself. I can take care of my family. Everything's cool. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing with my own family, and everybody else can just kind of fend for themselves. Gideon didn't do that. What did he do? He rose to the occasion. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But we have to be careful that we don't become indifferent. Okay, God's opening some doors. I, I don't care. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. But here's the sixth, the sixth truth. God is way ahead. So whatever your issue, struggle, problem, burden, whatever's going on in your life today, just know God's not been taken by surprise. He's not playing catch up. He's not reacting. He's not trying to figure out how's he going to meet your need today. <laughs> he's way ahead of you and he's going to meet it. Here's truth number seven. One mistake does not negate. I want you to think about that for a moment. One mistake does not negate. One mistake, one misstep does not negate a life of obedience and faithfulness. Look at chapter 8, verse 22. It's a portion of his story that we haven't looked at yet. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. Now here he's referring to the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other Eastern peoples. Here he calls them Ishmaelites because they're from uh, Ishmael. Verse 25, they answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment, and each man threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels. That's about 43 pounds. But not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on the camel's necks. So that doesn't include all this other gold, and we don't know exactly how much of that he actually uses, but it could very easily have been 100 pounds, 200 pounds of gold, something like, like this. And it says in verse 27 that Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So Gideon, after this is after the great battle, it's after the 300, it's after this great victory. Now Gideon makes this ephod and the Israelites prostitute themselves in idolatry again. In other words, they go right back to doing what caused them to be oppressed by the Midianites in the first place. Now we don't know exactly what the ephod was. Now, in the, in the priestly guard, they had an ephod, so it could have been some type of priestly vestment that was so large or so ornate with gold that it could just kind of stand by itself and become its own thing. That word can also mean image or idol, so it could have been some kind of, of image or idol. We don't know exactly, exactly what it was is unclear, but what it became is very clear. It became an idol to the Israelites, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. But in the midst of that, there's a cool truth. And that truth is, one mistake does not negate. God 
does not use perfect people. If God only used perfect people, he would use none of us because none of us are perfect. We all fall, we all fail. And this is not said to be an excuse. This is simply a reality. And we see this all through scripture. Again, notables, Abraham, who tried to expedite God's plan by having a child with Hagar. We see it through David, who had the affair with Bathsheba and then has her husband killed in battle. So I'm not saying this to validate or condone sinful behavior. I'm not saying that it's okay to live in sin and to walk in sin and to do anything that we want to do. Because the reality here with Gideon is that he would have been much better off had he never made this ephod because it created tremendous problems in his life. It became a tremendous snare to he and his family at the end of his life. So I'm not validating or condoning or saying, hey, let's just go live in sin and do whatever we wanna do and God will forget. That's not what I'm saying at all, okay? So don't get that message this morning. But what I am saying here is that one mistake does not negate. If you're waiting to let God use you until you get good enough to be used, you will never be used by God. Because as we've talked about it before, your good enough is not good enough, and you'll never be good enough. And if you're afraid to let God use you because you think you might blow it, or maybe you've already blown it, or you don't wanna blow it, you'll never be used by God. Because chances are you probably have blown it or you probably will blow it. That's, that's just the way we are. But when you think of Gideon, let me just ask, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands. But if I were to ask you to raise your hands, if I were to ask you, tell me just the first thing that pops in your head about the story of Gideon, I guarantee you 99% of you would say, oh, he's the one that fought a battle with 300 people. If I were to ask you, okay, how many of you have ever heard of the ephod story? Probably 1% would raise your hand, maybe more than that. But I, I bet many of you haven't never heard the ephod story until today. But probably all of you have heard the 300 story. Most of us, when we think of Gideon, we think of the battle of 300, not the ephod, not the mistake. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the faith chapter, Gideon is called a man of faith, not a man of failure. Abraham's called a man of faith, not a man of failure. David's called a man of faith, not a man of failure. Why? Because one mistake does not negate. You are not identified by your mistake today. Don't let the enemy condemn you. And don't let the enemy convince you that you cannot be used of God because you've made some mistakes or that you're gonna make mistakes. Because in Christ, when we are in Christ, our mistake does not define us. God's grace defines us. So a life of faithfulness is still used by God even in the midst of mistakes. That's how great God is. That's how powerful God is. That's how good God is, is that he can use us, even us who are dust, even us, we who are imperfect, fallible people. He will still do great and mighty things in us, for us, 
and through us and with us if we'll let him. So this morning, these two truths, may we let those soak into our spirit. God desires to use us for his purpose and for his glory. He'll prepare you for it and he's preparing the way for it and he will use you even in the midst of your humanness. Gideon wasn't a perfect man, but God used him in a mighty way. We're not perfect people. We're not a perfect church. But if we'll say, God, here I am. God, here we are. We're ready to be used. He'll use us. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.